Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. I feel like God wants to do something here in this room. You know why? This whole book is God doing something on the earth. And the New Testament is full of healing, prophecy, the working of the kingdom of God. And so as we read this, and I hope you are reading this, we're in a reading plan as a church. If you're not in that, you could jump in now and say, I finished the reading plan. It'll be done in a month. And so we'll be in Revelation for the month of December. You're like, Revelation? That's for Luke. Uh, No, I just want you to hear this idea that Jesus' being born was a purpose. And that if he is the beginning, he's also the end. And so we're going to kind of remember that through the book of Revelation. But today... We're going to start a little different. Go to, a, go to 1 John chapter 2. For the last two months, almost every morning, I have woken up to one verse in my head. And as I've been reading the reading plan, all of a sudden I realize that the verse that's been stuck in my head for two months co- correlates with the verses that I'm supposed to preach today. And as we got to this, I was like, all right, that doesn't seem like it's kind of it's, just not unu- it's kind of unusual for me to wake up that many days in a row being like, oh, what does that verse mean? It irked me every Friday at tacos with my friends. I'd be like, why is this verse? It's just, it was like a, a stick in my boot. It just annoyed me. Like, why? And so as I get here today, I want to lay this one verse. And if this is all you remember, great. And really, it's, I don't know if it's a chipper verse, but it is an invitation and it is clear. And I like Bible verses that are clear. And the reason that we do what we do, we do reading plans so we don't skip anything. You know what I mean? So when you're reading the Bible and you get to that part where it's like women in leadership in the church and you try to like step over it, we don't do that. When you get to the Bible teaching about, you know, sexual immorality, we don't, we don't go, ooh, that's too hard. And so with this, I just want to step into it, see what God might want to do. And then maybe I'm wrong, and then we'll just teach from verse 1 through the whole book. But first, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, why would God wake me up with that verse? Why can I not get that verse off of me? Why is that a verse that I, every morning I wake up like, I don't want to love the world, God. I want to love you. And almost my friends were like, you seem to be afraid that you're going to love the world, and I don't want to love it. But can we be honest? And I know we're in church, so we're all going to smile and lie. But can we be honest? That was a little harsh. Can we be honest? Do you feel the world calling you to love it? Do you feel that one week you're like, man, I prayed so well this week, and I got my devotionals, and I love God. And then the next week you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I just want to sit down and choose comfort. All right, so quickly the world's like, I'm loving it and I don't want to. So if we're going to be honest about this verse, the first thing we have to do is be like, I feel the pool of the world. Can we say that? You live in a very real world with very real things to love. So very, right off the bat, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. So first, or John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So when this says, do not love the world or the things in the world, God apparently loves the world, but what is he talking about with this verse? But what I realize with human nature is we try to soften this verse a lot. We try to soften and be like, he couldn't mean don't love my labradoodle. He couldn't mean not my, not my ice venti, loca mucca, roca, whatever, bullcrap, whatever that is, um, he couldn't mean not love like the stuff that I love, right? But then, then you study scripture, and we're pretty serious about scripture here, right? So I, I just did a little dive really quick, and Jesus over and over again would say things like, come and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And then he would have people come to him and be like, well, Jesus, I'm gonna come follow you, but I have to go bury my father first. What did Jesus say to that man? And it sounds mean. Let the dead bury the dead. You, you come follow me. That sounds mean, right? 
Like if you showed up today and were like, hey, I'd love to be at service today, gotta go bury pops. And I was like, you let that man bury himself. You come here, right? That sounds, I don't know why I went aggressive country on that, but I did. Right, that sounds harsh, but then you get into when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. What does seek first mean? Seek first, thanks guys. Priority, it means that's the, that's the focus of my life. That's the pursuit of my life. I'm seeking this first, and then all this will be added to you. Uh, anyone who does not hate their mother, brother, or family does not love me, Jesus says. What does that mean? Should I hate my daughter, Grace, who's six? That's what it says. So when this verse says, do not love the world, we're like, ah, he doesn't mean it. I think he means it. I think God wants a church that's not in love with the world anymore. I think God wants a church that's so in love with him, it's startling to look at. They're like, we don't care, take our stuff. We don't care, take our lives. We don't care, take our dignity. We have something better. So when we say, do not love the world, and if we were being honest, and I mean really honest, sitting at Taco Bell, eating a Tassada Crunch or a Crunchwrap Supreme, and I looked you in the face and I said, can you see the love of the world on your life? I can almost guess, if I'm waking up for two months, feeling this verse, that about 97.2% of us in this room could say, yeah, I can feel the love of the world calling me. And I don't want it. I want to be a church so in love with God that the things of earth grow strangely dim. That they could take all of our stuff. They could take all of our comfort and we would still say it was worth it. So do you see the love of the world in your life? And I'm gonna let you answer that question. And I don't know why God wanted me to start there, but I do think when he says, don't love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I think you need to see this as if I have two wives. I don't. I made a Mormon joke for service. I'm not doing that. But if I had two wives, what do I have to do? I have to choose who to give my love to. If God says in his word, you cannot love God and money, why is that? Because you'll choose one. So when God says through the apostle John, whom he loved, don't love the world, you know what he's doing? He's inviting you because you'll choose one. You'll choose the world or you'll choose heavenly realities. So if, you, if that's you, this is where I'd like to start today. Like I said, starting a little bit different. Normally we'd just start in first one work our way down. We'll, we'll probably get there. I want to pray. And I just want to ask God to sovereignly by his Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts that he would dislodge any love of the world. And if that's you, like you're like, man, I feel this. Like, I don't know why, but when you read that verse, I was immediately like, man, I love golf too much. If you can love golf too much. Uh, you know, like, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you just love your you time, you love comfort, you love Netflix, you'd never say, I love those things. What do you sit in bed at night dreaming about? What are you fretting about in the morning, first thing? So I want to pray. And then if you feel like, man, I, I feel like the love of the world is kind of grabbing a hold of me, I'm going to ask you to do a thing. You don't have to do it. But in the middle of that, somewhere in that prayer, if you're like, man, as an act of just love and sacrifice to God, I want you to kneel. And you're like, what? It's not about the kneeling. I just think if I'm, okay, I feel the world pulling me to love it, I'm going to intentionally go, I'm not going to love the world, I'm gonna love Jesus. That's all I'm asking. So can we just start there, like letting the Lord do whatever he wants to do? And if no one kneels, I'm not offended, but God knows all y'all's hearts, and I feel it in me, so God, we just come before you in your word. Just here's, the, here's a verse of your word, which you spoke by the Holy Spirit. And it says, do not love the world. And so God, we take that and we say, we want to crucify our flesh. We want to have heavenly minds. And so God, we, we confess, we repent of our love of the things of earth. And would you bring freedom in the name of Jesus right now? We want the love of the Father to abound in our hearts. 
We want the love of the Father to fall afresh on this place. And so we ask, God, right now, that by your Holy Spirit, you would come in and you would dislodge any love of this earth. That we would not be lovers of the earth, but lovers of the kingdom of heaven. Not lovers of the things of earth, but lovers of the Son of God who gave himself up as an offering on our behalf. And if they're kneeling right now, God, would you touch their hearts? If they're not kneeling right now, God, would you touch their hearts? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your clear words that says, don't love this stuff. It's going to go away, but the kingdom of heaven is forever. We surrender right now, Jesus. And so right now, right there in your seat, I'm gonna ask, Lord, would you just put your finger on the thing that we're loving more than you? Would you discipline your kids, Father? Show them the air that they're walking in. Show them where they're choosing comfort over your kingdom. Show us where we're using our money for our own personal gain instead of your kingdom. Show us, Father. Lead us in paths of righteousness. I thank you for the invitation, God, to love you more than anything else. And I ask for help to do that this week for every person in this room, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, power. Pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. Ask for a strengthening in the inner man. Ask for a spirit of wisdom, of revelation and understanding of the depths of the things of God. I ask for a cutting off of the things of the flesh, a silencing of any attack, and a breaking of chains in the name of Jesus. We surrender to your word. It says, do not love the world. We will not love the world. In Jesus' name, amen? Thanks for letting me start with my verse of the two months. I give it to you. Maybe it can sit on you for two months. But why would God say that to us? Don't love the world. Because you're like, Surely puppy dogs and my little daughter and my nice house and my labradoodle, those are, you know, worth loving. And I don't think it means hate. I think what we normally do is we take God and we're like, as long as God is just a little bit over all the things of earth, then I'm good. But that's not what biblically we're called to. We're actually called to something deeper. And so what you're encountering today in, in the, the epistle of 1 John, the letter of 1 John, now, remember who John is. John is a disciple that got in a foot race to get to the tomb of Jesus before Peter. John is the one that is called, he won't even use his name, which is a weird flex. This, he's just the disciple that Jesus loved, all right? So John's leaning on Jesus' back. John loves Jesus. So when John writes about the Son of God, I always want to listen to him. I love how he talks about him. But John, as he's writing, he's not writing as an apostle in this epistle. He's probably writing to the Ephesian Christians and like, Asia Minor, and you're like, that's such a helpful fact. Where is that? Think modern-day Turkey. Do you know where that is? You're like, no, I'm from America. I don't know where any other countries are. Uh, well, it's over there. So Turkey. And he's writing not as, hey, I'm telling you what to do. He's writing as their pastor. And so as I read First John the first time, I was like, I'm going to read this as a pastor. I happen to be one. And as I read it, I really started to feel these prayers start to rise up that kind of parallel what you'll see in this book. So I want to start actually not with all the little line by line, but two prayers I've been praying over your life. You're like, oh, you've been praying for me? I pray for you all the time. And these two prayers are rooted in what he's going to tell them. And my first prayer is this, that you would know that you have eternal life. That if you possess eternal life, you have Jesus Christ, you would know it. You would walk in it, and it would be sure. I'm starting to sweat, so I'm taking my shirt off. Don't get weird, okay? Um, and so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, a funny thing happens. The apostle tells us why he wrote this. Why did he write this letter to these people? And then when we read it, what can we take out of it? He says, I write these things to you who believe. Hey, how are you, those who believe? To those who you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? That you would know that you have eternal life. Not that you would guess, not that you would be like, I really hope this Jesus thing pans out. That you would know it. 
that eternal life would so have you that you would walk the rest of this life marked by eternity. You know where your destination is. You're not guessing. You're assured of it. You know that you know that you know. My grandpa says that to me all the time. He just gave me an amen. It's funny because he says that in 1 John, and he actually says that in his gospel in in John chapter 20. He says, these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John doesn't change the channel, and that's why I love him. He stared at Jesus, and he went, I never want to look at anything else, and I appreciate a man like that. I I want us to stare at Jesus and find that in him, there actually is eternal life. And then I want us to so root our hopes and our lives and our dreams and our decisions in the man Jesus that nothing could shake it. That you'll walk the rest of your days. Hear me, look at me. You can know you are saved. And if you don't know, don't leave today. Jesus Christ saves men and women from sin and death and gives them a promise that is greater than any promise you've ever been given. And we have a whole generation of Christians who are like, I just don't know if you can know. Well, John would have words with you. I wrote these things that you would believe in the name of Jesus, and then you would know. And that know, that word there, we don't even have to get into Greek. You know what it means? No. On every level, in your brain, in your soul, in your spirit, in your heart, in every level, I am saved by the Son of God, and I will see my Redeemer face to face. That is a hope that doesn't diminish with hard times. That is a hope that doesn't go away when we are persecuted. That is the hope of the gospel, eternal life forever. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know? I want to know. You can know. And John is actually writing this letter in part because there was Christians in his time that were going, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They loved yelling that they were Christians, and yet they didn't obey the Son of God. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, except they didn't show off any of the love of God. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, except they made Jesus created and not eternal. That was the heresy of their day. And so you'll, you'll need to realize that, yes, you can know, but you can also be deceived. Did you hear me? John did not mince words. He actually calls the people that were teaching this in his day deceivers who were going around deceiving. So I can say all day long, all day long, I can tell you that I'm an Olympic athlete. Amen, let it be so, right? That's not true. All day long, I'm the jolly green giant. All day long, I'm a great husband. And all those things might be true in part, but, they, and then I'm, but I'm not. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? My first prayer for every person in this room and every person that cracks that door is you would know you have eternal life. And it would so mark you, you'd change every moment of your day for that reality. Second prayer kind of goes with it. Uh, but before we get off that topic, if we sat at Taco Bell, once again, and I looked at you, do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know? And if right now there's nothing but just pure confidence rising, not pride, confidence, I know that I'm saved. I know that I have Jesus Christ. I know that my sins have been taken away. I know that I will be with my Savior forever. If that's not what you got rising, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm not mad at you that you don't have confidence. I'm not mad at you that you're like, I don't know. If you don't know, don't leave. Second thing, my second prayer, I want you to experience God's everlasting love. What's funny is we we get caught up in 1 John, and he's going to say eternal life. And he's going to say knowing and perceiving eternal life about 50 times. I'm a, I just count words when I read Bible books. I'm a nerd. But he also talks about love even more than that. But every other verse, he's going to say love, love, love. And in fact, in 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, he's going to tell us a thing, that God is love. Now, that's different than you and me because sometimes you're loving, right? Husbands, sometimes. Other times you're loving when it serves you. Other times you're loving when you feel like it. 
But John just is going to tell us that God is it. It's not a characteristic. It's what he's, it's like his substance. So if you encounter God, if you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, what will you also encounter? The love of God, which is better than anything on earth which is, I mean, like, it will change you. It's tangible. I can't even explain it because it's not like human love. It's running into a force that mold, it casts out all fear. It casts out all shame. It molds a whole life. If you meet a missionary that is traveling the world, you know why they'll tell you they are doing it? Because the love of God compels them. Not because I have to, not because I want to be obedient. That's part of it, because the love of God has so manifested itself on that shown up in their life, made real in their life, they have to go. The love of God is more real than some of us know in this room. Some of us are living in what I, I mean I would call loveless marriages. Except you and I were supposed to be married to the Son of God. I know it's weird language. And you feel no love. That's not Christianity. Loving God is at the root of this thing. Love God. Love, loving God and him loving us. So when I hear God is love, I mean, I constantly, I am praying over and over us that we wouldn't be Christians that stand on the outside and know facts about the one that we love, but that we actually enter into a love relationship. Does that sound weird to anybody? You're like, kind of weird, but I kind of want it. I want to know God. And if he's love, you will encounter the love that is the creator of all things. Those are my two prayers. And as we get through these scriptures, I want you to keep those prayers in mind, that you'll know you have eternal life, and you will know the love of God, and it will set you free from any lesser love that you're on and after. So as we get into verse one, go to chapter one, verse one. We'll focus on the first little chunk. Um, the hard part about reading plans is, as we get into first, second, and third John, we're going fast. We're doing like whole books of the Bible, man. And so I'm gonna try to do 1 John today. What I want you to think about, normally when you read the Bible, you read it monotone and boring. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. That's how you read this verse. John is geeking out, in my opinion. John loves Jesus Christ, so if he's talking about him, I talk about Jesus, and I just get loud, and I get kind of weird. I think John actually touched him, knew him, sat with him. So when he's writing this, he's writing with passion and a little bit of angst. You know what I mean? So don't read the Bible in your monotone, dry voice. Read it how it was written. That which was from the beginning, in which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. What's he doing? He's telling you about a person he knows. It's like if I ran in this back door and I was like, guys, guess what I saw? That's what he's doing. That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, considering the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen. You see how he's just like tripping over his words? He's like, we saw it, and then we seen it, and then we looked at it, and then we touched it, and then we heard it. Who's he talking about? You're in church, just say Jesus, okay? Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. He's like, we saw him, and we heard him, and we touched him, and I lean back on him, and I'm proclaiming to you the eternal Son of God can save you too, which is what he does next. And we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he's kind of talking big. It feels at first like he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about things being revealed. And then he starts talking about the one revealed who came from the Father. Who came from the Father? Jesus Christ. So as we talk about, hey, do you have eternal life? I want to teach you the, I think, a very important thing. Jesus is eternal life. You could put an equal sign if you want to not put is. Jesus is eternal life. So if you have Jesus, you have what? If you do not have Jesus, you do not have what? You just learned a biblical principle. You could take that one to the bank. 
So if you have Jesus, if you know Jesus, if Jesus is in you and if you're in him and you're following and obeying Jesus, you get eternal life. You cannot separate those two things. John doesn't separate those two things. But what they were trying to do in his time and we're trying to do in our time is separate those two things. If you don't know, if you want to know that you have eternal life, you have to know if you have Jesus or not. And Jesus gets to set the guidelines for how you're going to follow him. And Jesus gets to say, if you want to come follow me, you have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself. And you're going to have to die yourself every day. And you're going to have to actually go places you want to go. You're going to have to obey me because I'm God. So the concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one that gives the life. I'll prove it to you. In the Gospel of John, I mean, He's going to teach about Jesus because that's what John does. And in John 1, 4, it says, in him was life. You're in church. Who's the him? Jesus. In Jesus was life. So if you want life, you got to find Jesus. He goes in John 14, 6, this is Jesus talking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who in their right mind says that? Apparently, the Son of God, who is God incarnate in, on the earth, making manifest eternal life for all of humanity. He's the only person that can. If you say it, you're insane. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, guys. Follow me. You'll get there. Does that feel right? You all should be like, get out of here, weirdo. Right? But Jesus does say this and then backs it up by dying and then raising from the dead and then proclaiming to all humanity, come follow me and give me your life and I'll give you actually eternal life in exchange. This is the message of the gospel. John 17, three, he's gonna define it for us. I'm so glad the Bible does this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I thought I was waiting for eternal life. But he tells me, this is eternal life. Doing what? Knowing. And the word knowing, we're going to talk a lot about the word knowing today. It's just like how you would know another human being. Face to face, I know their voice, they know mine. Mannerisms, emotions, relationship. Knowing. Do you know Jesus? That is the most crucial question on the planet for every human on earth. Do you know the Son of God? And if you don't know him that way, maybe you gave your life to him, he wants to know you that way. This is that fellowship that John's talking about. John said, hey, we used to lean back to back. I touched him. He talked with me. I saw him. I heard his teaching. You too can have fellowship with the Son of God. This is the words of the Apostle John, which makes me go, I want to know him. When 1 John 1, 2 says, the life was made manifest. The eternal life was made manifest. You don't, we don't use the word manifest a whole lot. It just means it was made tangible. It means you can touch it. It means in the beginning was, you can go John 1 or you can go Genesis 1. In the beginning was God. When Jesus shows up on the earth, God, made touchable, made hearable, made seeable, he examples and shows off everything that that God was who you couldn't touch or you would die. Jesus shows up and shows off the goodness of God. He is the image of the invisible God. And the Bible is saying here, see who Jesus is. And why does that matter? Anybody a church history nerd? It's a good way to fall asleep at night, but church history tells us a lot about this. So in the early church around the third century, there's a guy named Arius. You're like, that's so fun to know. But he started to teach on a wide level to the church that Jesus was created by the Father, therefore less. And what happened is a young guy named Athanasius, anybody ever heard that name? He's about 40 years younger, and he goes, no, no, no. Jesus is co-equal with the Father, eternal forever, alpha and omega. He's uncreated. He was with the Father in the beginning. And you know what happens? They banish him about five times. You know how many times you have to come back from being banished five times to get banished five times? Five. 
So they would send him away to an island, and he would just come, he like, I don't know, swim, or I don't know, get back, and be like, Jesus is worth everything, he's God, and then they banish him again. Church history tells us that this was something he was worth, he, w- he was willing to die for, because Jesus is the revelation of God. God in human flesh. And if you make Jesus small, and you make Jesus a distorted Jesus, and a deceived view of Jesus, your faith, your eternal view will be small, distorted, and deceived. So everything, what is Jesus like? He is God in human flesh. John tells us that he is the made manifest reality of the love and eternal life that God offers. So he's not just a good guy. He was a good guy, but he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a man that somehow duped a bunch of people into believing he was the son of God. He was God, which changes how you interact with him. If I interact with you, you're just men and women. If I interact with God, we're on a different level, yeah? And so I've run into so many people over the years that are struggling with that. Like, one of my favorite questions to ask, if you end up in a conversation with an atheist or really angry like family member, I'll ask him this question. What would it take for you to believe in him? And sometimes they'll say, Absolutely nothing. You couldn't tell me anything that I would make me believe. I'm like, great. Well, then we're done with this conversation. But I had a girl once. She, I was like, what would it take for you to believe? And she said, all it would take is if God would just come down and he would show me that he loves me. And literally, I think I was in a Taco Bell. Um, I think I, I yelled. He did. He did come down. And he did show you that he loves you. And he's available right now to work in power in your life to save you from your sin and bring you into eternal life. She's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, I want him to come. And I'm like, he did. He did. Do you want him to do it all over again? He did. And so there are people in the first century, in John's time, that are distorting Jesus. They're making Jesus lower than the Father. They're making Jesus just a good guy. And he goes, don't let him do that. There are people in this century who are professing Jesus, but he's a distorted, deceived view. And they're making him less than what he is. And so I'll use uh, the words of another man. Anybody know John Piper in the room? Johnny P? I can't call him that to his face. He gets mad. So I don't know John Piper. My wife's like, stop, just stop. John Piper says beautifully deep words. And he talked about this, this phenomenon. You, you talk about Jesus as a good guy. You talk about Jesus as another good option, and people are fine in our world. You say Jesus is the exclusive reality of the kingdom of God, and if you don't have him, you don't have eternal life, you've now gotten yourself in trouble. And John Piper talks about this. It's long, but many are willing to believe in Christ if he remains a merely spiritual reality. But when we preach that Christ has become a particular man, a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, that's a lot of particulars, then that preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. I don't think it's so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrine of the incarnation. The stumbling block is that if this doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. Everything he says is law. Everything he did is perfect, and that particularity of his work and word flow out in history in the form of a particular inspired book that claims a universal authority over every other book that has ever been written. This is the stumbling block. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient. Because this one Jewish man says that we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life. Because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to all the rebellious hearts of men and women. The incarnation is a violation of the bill of the human rights written by Adam and Eve in the garden. It's totalitarian, 
It's authoritarian, imperialism, despotism. Who does he think that he is? He is God. And this changes everything when you approach Jesus this, with that mindset. He is God. He is Lord. He is over all, which when rightfully he could over every person in this room go, mine, and he ain't wrong. That's true. So when we come to him and we go, I'm just going to love you a little bit more than the world, that is a disservice to who he is. He didn't die to be a little bit more light. He died because he's God and to secure a people for himself. Jesus is Lord over all the universe, and he's Lord over you. And so eternity is right near you in the balance in this room. Because some of you, you said a prayer, but you never bent your knee. This is submission. This is whatever's in my hands, whatever you want. This is you know better. This is I'm not that smart. This is I messed it up. You fixed it. This is I will go your way even if it costs me dearly because I have a promise that's greater than anything on the earth. Jesus is eternal life. Do you hear me? Do you want eternal life? Then you need Jesus. He gives it freely when you come to him. And that's the first truth. Jesus is eternal life. Equal sign equals eternal life. If you have the Son of God, you have eternal life. The second truth is Jesus offers everlasting love. We kind of talked about these. They kind of go with the prayers. Number one, I want you to know that you have eternal life, therefore you'll need Jesus, and I want you to know the love of God, and guess who gives the love of God? Jesus, you're in church. And this love has changed my life. And I used to talk about it as a concept, and then I ran smack into it. There's moments in my life where I'm astounded that God would save me. You ever had that moment? There's moments, uh, I had one the other day, I was watching, uh, I think it was a sunset, and it was like one of those like, you know, wintry fall mix of like purples and oranges, and you're like, ooh, and right in the middle of that, ooh, uh, I don't do that at sunsets, I'm more manly, it's more like, yes, um, whatever. Um, I'm sitting there watching this thing, and all of a sudden, it was just like a revelation. I know the one that made this. And I kid you not, I was like, so maybe I am more like, woo. <laughs> um, and I went, you hear me right now. And I, Holy Spirit was like, yeah. And I was like, I know. The, so what, I, I'm boggled that he would save me. Well, you know what boggles my brain? that he tells me to talk to him. And he tells me that he hears me. That's why I love prayer rooms. It, it blows my mind that God on high is like, bring your little stuff to me, and I'll do stuff with it. And I'm like, it just blows my mind. So you have in Jesus a God is love statement all through John, and he's incarnating, he's, he's making real, manifesting the love of God. And we have Christians walking around going, I don't know if God likes me. I don't know. God loves you. And the love of God is not fickle. It is not like human love. John will say in 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear. When I encountered the love of God, and I mean, I'm in, I'm a, I was in Sunday school, I went to Bible school, I could tell you where the verses are, I could conjugate it in Greek if you want to, but when I encountered the man, I mean, it was like actually a tangible thing, a reality hit my life. I literally was unafraid, and I realized that it was all true, that I really am a son, and that I am loved for all eternity. As far that way into time as you can go on a timeline, love. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to enter into that? Well, I just have this, oh, I feel it in my heart. So many Christians are standing outside the love of God going, I'll obey you, but I don't know about that love thing. I'll follow the rules. But it seems like we've boiled Christianity down wrong. So uh, to say it in a joke, but like I was told most of my life, don't cuss, don't drink, and don't date people who do. Good rules to live by, Yeah. That is not the fullness of Christianity, just so y'all know. 
The fullness of Christianity is God said, I want my people with me. I want my love on them, and I want their love in return. It's a love relationship. It's fellowship. It's a knowing that's not hypothetical. It's not just in your head. It's in your whole being. I am known by God. I walk with him, talk with him, hear him, follow him. When I, every day I wake up, where do you want to go today, God? And sometimes I hear cool stuff, and sometimes I go on adventures, and I'm like, well, I didn't hear you that day. Uh, but it's part of it. There's a knowing that's lacking, and it's because we've, we've conceptualized the love of God. We made it a song, but it's a reality, and it's what he is. Do you have the love of God? John's going to say, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That word fellowship, I think six months, maybe longer. Jeremiah talked about a word koinonia. Y'all remember that? Maybe you wrote that down. It was a good sermon. Look it up. One of his only. I'm just kidding. Uh, koinonia. All that word meanings. That was a jab. I'm sorry. Koinonia is fellowship. And it's usually actually in the context of marriage. It means deep connection, intimacy, conversational, like style of relationship. John the apostle just said, we have fellowship, meaning him and the apostles and the disciples. We have fellowship with God. You can too. Did you just hear what he said? You can have fellowship with God like John. Here's what just happened. You're like, that's, pastor, that's for you. Apostle John, that's for him. John says, no, 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 that's for you. So every person that comes to Jesus Christ gets to know him. And there's not just some special set of people that get to know him better. You know why those people know him better? Because they said, yes, Lord, I want to know you. And I'll give everything to do it. You can know God right now. You and I get to know God right now if we want to, which is this, the stupidest invitation I've ever heard in my life. I'm invited to a lot of dumb places, but that's crazy to me. God wants to know you. God died to secure you from whatever's holding you down right now. Koinonia with God is, is exemplified in the lengths that he would go to secure it. So I know you know the Sunday school felt board answer, uh, but where have you seen the love of God most exemplified? I'll ask it a different way. How do you know someone loves you? How do you wives know your husbands love you? And you're like, I don't. I wasn't trying to go there. That's a dark spot. How do you know anybody loves you? Well, the care they give, the attention they give, the actions that they do, and it's not just, hey, hey, babe, I love you. It's what they do. The Son of God goes to a cross and endures it for people who want nothing to do with him. What kind of love is that? And we step over that and we go, I've heard about the cross. I've heard about that. That's it. The love of God being shown off is that I'm going to die for people that are spitting on me. And he says, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his love life for us. So the best news is you can have intimacy with God. Every person in this room, convinced of it. You can know the love of God, not as a theoretical fact, but as a reality that you are living in, walking in, laying down in. You live your life out of a place of everlasting love and eternal security that I am saved by Jesus. That fellowship should change things, right? So well, I'll say it this way. He's about to turn and go, okay, we have fellowship, therefore... What I mean is, when I married my wife, Anna, I put this on my finger. I was going to do this, but it felt wrong. Uh, my ring finger. I put a ring on. Why was that? What did it do? Well, it, it marked that I, am, I belong to her. I have fellowship with her. So when all them single ladies come calling, you know what I do? I back away slowly. It's not a real thing that ever happens, but if it did, I'm ready. I'm ready, Right? So and then in Christianity, right, we're like, well, you know, if I have fellowship with God, well, then I know what I'll do. I'll put a robe on like the priest. That'll mark me. Or I'll put my, you know, cross necklace on or my Jesus fish on my bumper sticker, right? That's great. I'm not hating on those things. But what would actually mark 
the soul and the spirit of a man or woman that has fellowship with God on it? What would flow out of a life if I'm walking, talking, living, breathing with the Son of God? A lot of things, right? I've said it this way. Here's an electric socket right here. If I shove my tongue in that, what happens? And I know your electricians are there. Well, it doesn't have the load. And the, shut up. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? So what would happen if I'm over here going, I am connected to the eternal son of God. He has filled me with the very spirit that resurrected him from the dead. I have precious promises that are yes in him. I talked with him this morning and nothing happened. What would you say? If I said all that, but I'm over here, what would you say? And that's where it gets hard because he's about to show us almost a gauge. And the problem is with gauges is we're judgmental buttheads. And so we take the gauge and we look at everybody else and we go, you're looking a little dark over there, sister, right? That's not what this is for. That's not what this is for. But it is a good gauge because if you plug your life into the son of God, things change because there's power there, there's life, there's eternal life there. So he starts to list some. And the first one is walking in the light. Uh, chapter one, verse five and six. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So let's just say, I'm over here. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But I'm over here and going, I really like to sleep with multiple women. I like to get drunk every night. Drugs are great. Is there a disconnect? So what he's saying is, and this is the reality, is if we're over here giving my heart and my soul to the dark and, and t- just enjoying the things that are dark and I'm saying that I'm in the light, I'm actually lying, right? You're correct? And no one likes that truth. No one, you're, like, you're like, that feels harsh. Remember Jesus' words, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and die and follow me. Feels really similar. So let's understand what that doesn't mean. If I turn off all the lights in this room right now, is God still here? Just say yes, <laughs> right? So it's not talking about physical here. It's talking about in the things of God, there is a life and there is a light and there's a power and there's a kingdom that's real and experienced. And when you give yourself to it, you look different than the world, which says belongs to the kingdom of darkness. So where are you? And you could say all day long, like I said, I'm a kumquat. I'm the green giant. You can say all that stuff. I'm a Christian. Are you willingly giving yourselves to the dark? Now, I'll say this. We talked about not loving the world, and we were trying to be honest. I know we're in church, so let's try really hard. You can feel the world calling you to love it, right? Luring you into a sense of like, I'm just going to take comfort for the day. I'm going to be a little lazy today. So I'm not talking about temptation, and I'm not talking about a couple mess-ups. I'm talking about giving yourselves to darkness and things that Jesus saved, died to save you from. Those are marks of not having been saved at all and you being a liar. He goes on. So not only are we walking in the light, that's kind of a gauge. He says how we view sin. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If we, okay, I'll ask, I'm gonna, before I read this, because it'll give away. Anybody sin this week? Good, okay. You, some of you just did. Okay, cool. <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, all right? Anybody sin this week? You better all put your hands up, right? All right, so here's the reality. It, it's not so much... Uh, we, we like to look at this verse and go, is there any, any little thing in you, then you're out. That's not what he's saying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. Now hear this part. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's going to go on in chapter two and say, hey, guys, I'm writing this stuff to you so you won't sin, all right? The goal is not to sin. Everybody cool with that clear? Clear? Now, what we'll do in Christianity is go, I know he'll forgive me if I confess it, so let me just jump off this mountain of sin. Grace, that's not what he's doing. I'm writing this to you so you won't sin, but if you do, if you trip up, 
if temptation overcomes, then you get the extreme privilege of confessing your sins. You ever thought of confession that way? If you confess our sins, you know the number one thing we should want to do every day? You know what I do every day of my life? Confess a sin. Sometimes it's just an attitude. You would never even know. And I could hide it. I could shove it down and be like, I'm not that bad compared to him. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should so be an eager people to confess our sins. Like, Get it off. I don't want it. Cleanse me, Lord. Make this unrighteousness not a part of who I am. I don't like this desire in me. I am loving the world here. Oh my gosh, sin is at the doorstep, crouching like a, like a roaring lion. It wants to devour me. God, help me. So how we view sin is a gauge. If we're flippant about it, I think that means we're being flippant with the Son of God. And we should really start asking some deep questions like, have I given him my full yes and submission? There's one more, and I call it the gauge of love. So if I come into fellowship with the God who is love, my life is plugged into Jesus Christ. I know him. I walk with him. What should flow out of my life? Number one, love. The love of God will be made manifest on the earth through me and you, which means when people encounter me, they'll go, what's wrong with you? I believe in a Jewish Messiah that died for people that hated him. I believe in a God that told me that this kingdom that I'm a part of is upside down. So do you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Serve. Do you want to be the greatest? Be the least. Jesus washed people's feet that would betray him. And we, like, it's astounding. Like, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. When they curse you, bless them. When they hate you in my name, praise God. Anybody good with that? When they don't invite you and they hate you and they say that you're backwards, bless them. I don't know what you said, but A, okay. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know what I like about John? He didn't keep that hypothetical. I love you, brother. He said, if you have stuff and they need it and you don't give it to them, it's a clear sign that the love of God's not in you. You know what I like that? It, it, keep, it ties me down. You can't escape that command. I mean, you can. He says, don't just talk about loving people. Do it in word. Do it in deed. Do it in truth. Look for ways that you can manifest the love of God in real things. Food, clothing, stuff. The world operates on stuff. We live in a capitalistic, commercialistic society. Do you know that? You know what speaks in those minds? So if you go, God, I'll give them all my money if they come to you. Do it. The exchange rate in heaven is way better than here. Love. And so how are you loving people? I've met a lot of Christians, mostly on Facebook these days, who seem to say they love God, but they really seem like they hate people. How can this be? How can this be? We have fellowship with God on high through Jesus Christ. We know him, and he is love. Therefore, when people encounter me, the love of God will be made manifest in a way, and I'm not talking the flaky, stupid definition of the world. The world's love is self-serving and self-centered. God's love is the exact opposite. How's your love life? And I'm not talking about your marriage. How's your love life? I'll end it like this, sum it up like this. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 6, it's one verse. And I like it because, once again, it pins me down. I can't get away from it. Whoever says he ab abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So do you want to measure for how connected you are to the Son of God? Are you walking and talking and living like Jesus? Everybody's just like, ugh. 
But that's the invitation. That's what we're growing into, right? We're growing up into the head that is Jesus Christ to be more and more like him so that even when it's a hard day at the office, I actually show up the son of God's life, not my own. When I'm at home and it's a hard day with the kids, I'm not showing off my fatigue. I'm showing off the strength of God. If we're going to say that we abide, we're connected. John 15, this, we are connected to the vine. We are outflowing the life of God. We must then be able to say, I see the life of God in how you're walking. Anybody else feeling convicted? Good. That's what the word of God does. So let's end this way. I'm going to, is Dave in here? Dave, you should just play. You don't have to sing unless you want to, you know. It'll just make it easier. I want to just pray. And then we're going to do a really hard, like, go away if you want to. So Dave's going to start playing, and I'm going to pray. And I just want to sit you before the Lord. This is the word of God. John doesn't pull any punches. He says, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. I want to pray through that. John says, if you're walking in the dark and claiming you're in the light, you're deceived. I want to pray through that. John says, don't love the world or the things in the world. We've already prayed through that. I want to go back into that. And then when I get done, when I get done, there'll be some prayer people here and some prayer people there. And if you're like, I don't know if I have eternal life, come pray with them. They'll tell you how to have eternal life. If you're in here and you're like, I just want to love God, sit here for a while and sing with Dave. Sing a love song to your Savior. Be like, I'm not going to love the world. I'm not going to run to Taco Bell. I'm not going to run to the game. I'm going to run to Jesus right now. I know it's been long. So Jesus, we come to you in response to your word. You are altogether lovely. Make us like the Apostle John that we would love to stare at the sun. I thank you for your grace to save us. What grace has appeared in Jesus. I thank you that you hear my prayers right now. You hear me talking. What an honor. And so, Father, would you fill this room with your presence? Would the power of God come now and break every chain or any hindrances? And we just start where your word started. It says that Jesus gives eternal life. And I pray that if anyone in here doesn't have eternal life, would you call their name right now, Jesus? And as they cry out to you and repent of their sin and give you lordship, you will save them and you will give them eternal life forever with you. May the love of God fall right now like a blanket. Maybe you're in here and you're like talking about fellowship and the love of God. And you're like, I want that, but I don't have that. I pray right now for intimacy, Father. A depth of love to grow in this church. And if that's you, will you just tell the Lord, I want to know you? Tell him, I want to know your love, God. Get impertinent about it. God, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. And then maybe you're here and you have been dabbling in the dark and sin has got you and you have fallen in love with things in the world. Just tell them sorry and lay those things down and say, God, I repent and I exchange those things for your heavenly things. Would you free me from all that unrighteousness? Would you make me new in the name of Jesus? Thank you for your power, Lord. I thank you for the power of the cross, which stands for all time, like cemented in history. The love of God has been made manifest. Salvation has come. All those who come to the Son will be saved. Come to Jesus today. Don't leave here until you're touched. Don't leave here until you hear. Don't leave here until you know that you have eternal life. And if that's you, God bless you. Have a great week. I'm going to say bye right now, and you're free to go, stay, sit, stand, kneel. 
I love you. More importantly, Jesus does. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.